Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Byron, do you remember? What, what's the thing? What's last week's apology about? Well, partially, again, about audio drift and it not sounding great. But just for like 20 know. minutes. Just for 20 minutes. Yeah, you... that was weird. We're trying to, we're working on it, people. Like, we're, we're trying new things and hopefully they'll work better. We'll see. It's some of it's out so, of our hands though, because it cleared itself up and it means that we were doing it right, I guess, partially, but yeah, I'm really know. sad. That was weird. I'm really sad that we missed Colin's really awesome Lucky Charms impersonation when he first come, comes in on, on the show. Yeah. Unfortunately, it made it sound like you were talking over him and you weren't. No, but that was pretty fun. Um, our first, uh, dual citizenship guest um but but anyways thanks <laughs> thanks call colin for bringing some uh some interesting diversity there we were not expecting you to start off that way and unfortunately not everyone can hear that but that was pretty great and he definitely has an accent i don't know what he's talking about he's like oh, yeah i don't said- know people are i get the canadian thing though i could I, i've met canadians who sound kind of like that people think he he's doesn't canadian. have the the about a boot but you know he's he sounds canadian i could see that it's ridiculous. Anyways, all right, let's get to it. Sponsorship plug. Here we go. And just another reminder, since we actually were very fortunate to be reminded, you can actually personally sponsor this podcast should you choose, sort of like on a Patreon sort of a level where I guess you can give an amount monthly if you felt like that was something you wanted to do. I mean, it's, it's like us or Netflix, right? That's what the budget would come down to. So I think we would lose. So I would say go with Netflix myself, <laughs> but I mean, we appreciate it. If you, if you give, that's awesome. But yeah. So thanks to, to uh, our first uh, brand new giver. You're awesome. You know who you are. I have to ask your permission if, before I say your name on the air though. So I'm not going to do that. Anyways, if you're new to the show, uh, quick explanation, me and Byron grew up together. We're best friends and we act like um, immature teenage boys sometimes. But then other times we like to represent the millennial perspective on the church and things like uh, faith and culture and how they intersect. And we like to have some guests on the show who help lend their story to that conversation. So on the show today, we have one Preston. Preston, can you hear us? I'm here. Yeah. Yes, it's working. We were having technical difficulties, Preston. Glad to hear you. Can you hear me now? Oh, did he actually cut out? Are you messing with me, Preston? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. Oh Oof. my man, goodness. you just made us panic so good. Oh my gosh, you're a <laughs> that punk, was clever Preston. though. I appreciate that. Oh, <laughs> I thought we were scrapping this. All right, Preston. Thanks for that. You're a punk. <laughs> give us a give us a real brief who you are, um, where you're at what you're doing, and then also, most importantly, since this is the Millennial Pastor Podcast, your age. Yeah, so my name is Preston Goff. Um, I live in Kansas City and am a pastor on staff at Olathe College Church, uh, so just a suburb of Kansas City from Arkansas. And right now, um, I'm serving as the pastor of media and new expressions at Olathe College Church. My wife and I have been married for about five years, and I'm 25 years old. 25. And you have a connection with the previous guest. I do. I do. So Hunter Thrasher, which is probably 
four or five episodes back, something like that. Oh, no, it's a while back. It's like 10 episodes back now. Oh, okay, 10 episodes back. Yeah, so Hunter married my sister, so I guess you could say that we're related, <laughs> sort of. So here's the deal, though. You're from Arkansas, and not to not to be exactly what we're trying to confront, but you don't sound like you're from Arkansas, because we know what Hunter sounds like. Well... <laughs> yeah uh do you want me to comment on that or are you just looking for an affirmation i i so what's that about is there like parts of arkansas where there's not the hunter accent going on like i don't understand i I, basically here's a here's a deal preston i guess this is what you could respond to i don't understand the whole midwest thing i've been on the west coast my whole life i don't understand what's going on out there it's so confusing to me so are there parts of arkansas where i guess there's not the the stereotypical twang or southern draw or whatever it's called yeah so i'm from the very northwest corner of arkansas in a town called bentonville it's the home of walmart and so for that reason they bring in people from all over the world to to be their corporate uh, employees and so when i went to high school and went through my elementary school it was alongside students who were from every nationality and background and for that reason, I think I just didn't end up with the same twang. Um, but yeah, Arkansas is in the Midwest. It tr- it kind of thinks it's in the South, so it tries to be more Southern than Midwestern. That probably means up. So is that like a cultural thing, or because directionally that makes no sense to me? But culturally, that means something then. Yeah, certainly culturally. Byron, weren't you close to where he he's from? Um, not, I mean, I was close to the other side of Arkansas, but yeah, I mean, a state away is still pretty close. Yeah. I'm going to have to look at a map next time we have someone on the show that is from this area. Cause I'm just all sorts of confused. Well, we're, we're glad you're on the show and we're glad that we can have even more of these awesome stories of different necks of the woods coming to, to share their perspectives and stuff. And if you haven't uh, heard before, Preston, we like to have some fun with these stereotypes, and next week we'll probably apologize for saying dumb stuff about Arkansas accents or, or things like Walmart ruined your Arkansas accent or whatever. But today we're going to confront some of the stereotypes based on our generation. You said you're 25, so what year were you born? 23. So that's right in the window of millennialdom. I think you have to be born before like 96 or 98, but... We're gonna right. play a we're gonna play a game with you called How Millennial Are You? So I don't know if you're prepared for this, but how millennial do you think you are? Is this like a scale from one to ten? I mean, based on the stereotypes you may have heard, based on what you think cultural references to being millennial are like. In your own view, do you think you fit the stereotypes that you've heard or seen? Yeah, I'm probably a solid 93% millennial. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good self-awareness, Preston. Well, we'll, we'll put that to I mean, that. I was just going to comment on his his job title. That's millennial enough? I mean, that sounds super millennial to me. And I understand he might have, I don't know who came up with that title, but like, <laughs> it sounds pretty millennial. Who came up with the title? Listen, Preston? there's nothing more millennial than making up your own title and calling it a job. There you go. So that's what happened. I think we just <laughs> we heard what happened. Perfect. 
I like it. All right, Preston. Well, we're going to play How Millennial Are You? So the first, there's going to be two sections. We're doing a new format. The first section is confronting the stereotypes. So we're going to see how much of a stereotype you are. Section two is we're going to see how self-aware you are in sort of a uh, what, what society may say about you and your stereotypical behavior. Um, so the second section, there's going to be three different questions. And each uh, will no three different article titles. Sure. I guess they're not questions. Three different opportunities to guess which headline is real and which are fake. And they're all about millennials. So at the end, we'll see, I guess, in theory, how millennial you are if you're 93%. I can't do the math. There's only like six things we're going to ask you. So I don't think it'll actually work out to an even 93%. But we're going to get started. So Preston, avocados, how many have you eaten today? Zero. Okay. So then you got to tell us, do you like avocados? Do you eat them on your toast? So it's funny, um, I had avocado toast yesterday, <laughs> and last night I, I went to our annual Easter kickball tournament, and That's it's, so uh, millennial. it's costume oh based, gosh. and I dressed up, <laughs> dressed up as an avocado. Oh my goodness, no. So how many, how, many, how many millennial points does that earn me? Oh my goodness. At least 87. That's like, you're oh already God. almost there. Just that alone. Oh my Atlanta. Oh We're going to have to. That's fantastic. But to be fair, it was to, it was to poke fun at the millennial stereotype. Of course. Was it the one with the removable pit? Because we actually had a listener of the show, a former guest, Amy. She sent me the link to, to some costume and it, apparently the pit was removable, which was just on another level it was not it was not <laughs> well darn all right well so yeah i think that's all right that's already you're already swinging for the fences preston that's fantastic all right question number two essential oils how many different types do you use and how often do you and or your wife sell them <laughs> zero Z- zero <laughs> and zero. <laughs> oh darn right. swinging a miss so you've never used them Never. Oh, wow. I totally misread that one. Darn. All right. I know this next one. I, I, so here's the deal. We didn't really say this at the, at the beginning, but Preston's part of the cohort, mentoring for ministry through, through the Nazarene Theological Seminary. So I know, a thing about, <clears throat> I know a thing about Preston, and so I'm swinging for the fences on this one. So Preston, coffee. So if you sold... All of your coffee making, we'll call it accoutrement, like all the things that you have, all the very fancy top of the line stuff you have, and you transferred it to a retirement account, all the, all the money you made, how long could you retire for? Is that, do you want me to tell you a number based on the growth so- track? Over 50 years? Sure. Am I retiring today? Here's here's the stereotype. Because, yeah, it would be a growth track thing. Because, basically, we are are critiqued for spending more money on coffee than retirement. So, sure. We we could pretend like your actual, what it's worth today um, with the actual interest rates and all that stuff. Like, do you think if you invested in your future and not in coffee – you could retire for a period of time based on all of the various things you own that you use for making coffee. Okay. If I, (laughs) (laughs) 
Golly. You want me to figure in how much I spend on coffee itself? <laughs> okay. You know what? Scrap it. Just just fess up. You are you are quite, you're basically like Walter White with coffee. Just just fess it's up. It's true. It's true. Okay, if I sold all my equipment today, it'd probably be worth about a thousand dollars. Oh my goodness. Just wow. just the poor. If I gave stuff? up and if I gave up the habit of coffee, I'd probably save at least three hundred dollars a month. Oh my lanta. Between so you, my wife and I. So so then if we did the math and extrapolated that, that out over the next like thirty years, you could pretty much just retire. Oh my goodness. Not just no. like for how long. <laughs> if you're putting three hundred dollars a month away until you retire, you might be alright. I don't know, man. That's that's pretty epic though. So just to just to share with Byron and for our listeners, Preston is actually the one that makes the coffee for the mentoring for ministry cohort. So he basically makes coffee for all these mentors and then a whole bunch of millennials. And how many how many um cycles do you put through your coffee machine? Like how, in one day, how many different uh how many different times have you made coffee in one day for our cohort? What's the what's the max? Uh probably eight. Oh my goodness. And how big is Okay, but do you make it because you're really picky and you don't want anybody else to make it or are you just being a nice guy <laughs> or both or yeah both. is, is yeah, there I mean... they're not mutually exclusive <laughs> <laughs> so are you telling me that we went through so is it like 12 12 cups every time you brew we went through in four days we went through over three pounds of, of coffee oh my lanta but that's wow. not that surprising to me to be honest Oh, that's crazy, man. So basically, you're two for three in session one. That's how we're going to leave that. You were absolutely right. two for three. You're pretty much a millennial. We, we swung and missed with the essential oils, but we'll go section two, and we're going to see how, how much you understand outsiders' perspectives on the stereotype that is millennial. Byron's going to lead us off. So yeah, again, we're, I'm going to give you three headlines, one of which is real, two are fake. And you need to tell me which one you think is real and why. So, all right. The first one is, millennials feel they face more financial woes than any other generation. Number two, millennials are killing Facebook. Number three, the millennial generation is the spiritual generation. So which one of those is the real headline and why? Hmm. I'm going to say... That it is the third one that millennials are the spiritual generation. That's the true one. Why? Wait, am I telling you which one is fake or which one's true? No, which one's no, which true? One's, which one is real? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think it's that one because we, there's so many millennials that I see that are trying to find true spiritual connection apart from religious connection. Um, and they're willing to try things like essential oils <laughs> no they're, they're willing to try like all sorts of crazy things uh, to make it happen so no all right you're wrong that is incorrect <laughs> the, the this is a really tough game though like most people don't do very well it's the first it's the first one millennials feel they face more financial woes than other generations so it's just based Which... it's based on a new survey released by some banking uh stat gathering group 
and it, apparently, a, and this is, I'm reading from the article, a whopping 68% of millennials polled either agree or strongly agree that they have had more and tougher financial obstacles than past cohorts. So it's just a Fox News thing that uh, uh, basically, if you read the article, it's it's kind of maybe slightly critical of us being a little more entitled and thinking we have it harder than anybody else. So, so sorry, Preston, you didn't get that one right. Uh, let's go for... That's all right. Does that make me more or less millennial? <laughs> you know, whatever me and Byron feel like at the end is how that kind of goes. <laughs> yeah, this game's completely fake. We just make it up as we go. Yeah, so okay. it, just, it just kind of slants it however we feel like slanting it, so... Um, but all right, so because we could either say you're not self-aware or you're too self-aware. And so I don't know. We could we'll see how it goes. So question two. Now, these are longer titles. So bear with me. <clears throat> Game of phones. Isn't that funny? Game of phones. Millennials stream their parents premium cable subscription on mobile devices. So that's headline number one. Headline number two. For millennial Star Wars fans, many have more collectibles than spices in pantry. That's headline number two. Headline number three, millennials, get over your blankies and stuffed animals and grow up already. Oh, man. <laughs> I this, yeah, this is tough. I mean, I could see all three of them. I suppose that's the, <laughs> that's that's, the point. That's absolutely the point. I'm going to go with the blankies. With the blankies? Any reason why? That's- you know, I I don't know. I, I one I feel like the Star Wars one is just way too um, perfect of a millennial joke for it to be a real headline. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna tell you, you're right. That one's fake. Okay. Good job. Okay. That being said, it's also true in my life. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. So, any other thoughts, yeah. though, about which one you picked? Uh, not really. I mean, you know, I was born as an 80-year-old, so I never really had a stuffed animal or a blankie. What, what um, did you have, then? What does an 80-year-old baby have? <laughs> Back not pain a... and uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yelling at people to get off their lawn. Benjamin yeah, Button disease. Yeah, a, a harsh <laughs> critique of the surrounding world. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just tell you this then. You got it right. So okay. it's, it's, from an, it's from an article from Philadelphia Magazine. So maybe it's like people in Philly really don't like millennials. I don't know. But to read from from the uh, the article, essentially it's rooted in the author or somebody close to the author saying that Selena Gomez, who is 26 years old, um, taking an Instagram picture of her drinking a mixture of milk and honey out of a baby bottle. And apparently this wasn't her own idea. She saw it from somebody else and so on and so on and so on. And then it just went, goes into this incredibly long and not super fun to read critique of how we're just petty and babies. So good job, Preston. Well, well that's I'm a glad, weird thing to glad do know. since she's famous. Yeah, I'm glad okay. to know that we are all being compared to Selena Gomez now. Exactly right, because that's yeah, that's what's well, helpful did, about. Did anybody stereotypes. else like 
compare everybody in like the last generation to famous people then like rock stars and oh, no. i don't think everyone my parents generation is doing coke off of people like <laughs> they didn't know at parties like that doesn't make any sense like okay whatever that's dumb sorry <laughs> that's the point of this is we're, <laughs> like, we're not we're not all super rich people who got wealthy as, as teenagers you know like that's true her life's a little different than mine that's true but the article goes on to, to share someone was like holding a blanket and then I don't know. It's weird. It was a, I, I'm not going to really go much more into it because it was just weird. All right, Byron, read him his last one. So <laughs> so you're one for two right now, Preston. Which is pretty impressive in this game, honestly. This is a tough game. All right. So your next three headlines are, rising number of millennials look to make money from podcasts. <laughs> wink, wink. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> Article number two, millennials make more than previous generations, but owe much more too. And the third one is, even with crippling loan debt, most millennials pay for top-tier cellular plans. Hmm. <laughs> I'll take option two. Why? So millennials make more than previous generations, but owe much more too? Yeah. Um, only, the only reason I choose it is because I think it's statistically true. So you just so, based on facts, you think that one's the most accurate? Yeah. Ding, 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 dude! Well played. I, I don't think. We've All right, someone, nice. I don't think we've had anyone two for three. So, for our purposes, selfishly driven, and because we have the bias that we can claim, you are super millennial. You are well aware of these stereotypes and facts and figures. So that's how it plays out. Is basically at the end we just decide how how to skew it. So, no, but it's. I think you're roughly ninety three percent millennial. Yeah, so that's crazy. I think you're pretty much. If my on. if my my math adds up. But you know, I mean, it's it. <laughs> the the generation before us, their coffee was just a lot cheaper than I see anyway. That's going to be the thing that defines this uh, this whole interview is Preston and his love for coffee. Oh my goodness! No, but so so if you couldn't tell, Preston, and and again to remind our listeners, the whole point of this is to confront stereotypes. Um, instead of labeling things, instead of saying, "Oh, this millennial is such a whiny baby," they need to stop with their blankets and stuffed animals. We like to like to honor the fact that people have names and not everyone fits these ridiculous stereotypes. We just have fun with them because I mean, it, just confession. Most of the time me and Byron try to stack the stereotypes against our guests on purpose for that reason. No. <laughs> yeah. The, I know these are, it's, our it's hard to believe. These we are our do confessions. That. I know it, we're really nice guys generally. So it's very, it's hard to believe that we do that, but but thank you for playing, Preston. Um, I think based on math and science, you're very much a millennial. So good job. I'm going to take that as a win then. <laughs> well, we'll get you a participation tr- trophy the moment that we get them from wherever you get participation trophies. So we'll get. <laughs> but we'll get seriously, our... though, I think we should make those. That'd be fantastic to send out to our guests. We'll we'll get our interns. If we actually that. ever make money on this, then maybe one day we'll send out participation everyone, to everyone who's ever been on our podcast. Like, thanks for showing up. That would be we fantastic. Could, we could put a bronzed avocado on top of it. Oh, my goodness. That oh. would be the best. I'm going to make a note real quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, in the spirit of actually getting to know you a little bit better, Preston, give us just a little more um, briefly. Tell us about maybe some of your education, some of your ministry experience, and uh, how you ended up where you're at today. Yeah, so I went to Southern Nazarene University out of high school, 
I've always wanted to pursue ministry since I was 11 years old. Um, I've known that there's been a call for pastoral ministry in my life. And so I went to Southern Nazarene University to pursue that track and take part in their ministry internship program. And um, in the process, met my wife. We got married weeks after graduation. Um, she was actually a year older than me. And I like actually changed my degree so that I could uh, graduate with her. Um, so we graduated together, got married, and then came up to Kansas City soon after for me to begin my time at Nazarene Theological Seminary. Um, in the process, um, in marriage specifically, my wife is a photographer and a creative by trade, and that really began to rub off on me. I've always had a knack for technology and for um, design in, in, in some ways, but never had really honed those skills and began to really take an interest in developing that on the side as I was going through my master's program. And along the way, uh, I think God just brought, brought me into the path of college church who was looking for someone who could help them communicate in the digital world and was specifically intrigued by the fact that that was what I was passionate for doing, uh, passionate about doing, but also had a commitment to a theological background study experience in, in that way and, and a call to ministry. So it wasn't just interested in the communication side, but I'm interested in how to be a faithful pastor in the midst of um, a world where our people are very digitally connected and yet hungering for real, true, authentic life on life connection that can only be fully satisfied outside of the digital realm. Um, so yeah, I, about three years into my position at college church and have learned just a ton about what to do and what not to do <laughs> and uh, learned a ton about, pastoral ministry already um but this is my first pastorate and yeah so how long have you been there then about three years and it, the whole time i know you kind of like you jokingly said you made up the title but um in a sense that could you just maybe especially for the joke is uh the smaller churches where we're the only pastors could you maybe try to very quickly what what does your week look like as the, the media pastor, like what are the things you might be doing week in and week out? Yeah. So, yeah. So my title is media and new expressions. And basically what I tell people that means is I handle all graphic creation as well as communication strategy and implementation. And what that means is um, I, I design and maintain our website. I design, maintain all our social content, anything that goes on a screen or is in print, um, it comes from me. So I do a lot of work with helping all of the people across the board at College Church be strategic about what they're trying to communicate and how they're trying to mm -hmm. do that. And I implement the strategy and um, the integrated plan for bringing all that into one unified movement so that we don't just have people running in all directions. So, um, so if I was on staff, let's say I was a youth pastor or something, could I come to you and say, Hey, I really want to promote this or share this. Would you be the guy that then would help even jump on the graphic design train to help make those things happen and show up on a screen or in print or whatever? 
Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So I handle all the design requests um, and then all the calendaring for the church so that I can control um, how much communication is being sent out at any given time so that we can make sure that people actually have the opportunity to engage the things that we're inviting them to engage. What um, a novel concept. <laughs> so then on the other side with new expressions, um, it, it offers me a, a chance to be not that what, not that the communication side isn't pastoral. Cause I, I want it to, I want to be clear that I see that as fulfilling my calling and I have so many stories of ways that's taken place, but the new expression side allows me to really live into that. And that's ministry, um, really creative ministry to nuns and nuns um, mm. specifically just with a, with a lens for saying that we don't have to do things inside this building and we don't have to do things that are geared towards inviting non-churched people back into this space but it's more of saying we've got to get outside our comfort zone and go and step into these spaces that um, our community values that we need to be able to value as well and, and show them that we're willing to be humble. And we're willing to be learners in a space that we're not the ones that have all the information. So love it. All right. I nice. love it. So we, we ask all of our guests some general, uh, general questions about church and, I think we're going to have to come back to that nuns and duns thing because it kind of ties into why we ask these questions. But but as we share on most shows, stats indicate that there's more and more nuns and duns. And hopefully with your help, you know, we'll we'll really define what that looks like. But we got some questions to dive deeper into who you are and why you're still a part of the church. But first, Byron has a question to ask you before we get to that. So, yeah, as a millennial... I mean, we know now, like based on the stats, that a lot of us don't attend church, are not a part of church, and here you are being, you know, working in the church. So, we want to know, in your own words, what is the church? How would you define it? Yeah, um, the church is the gathered body of Christ um, that is sent back into the world to be a missional body, moving where Christ is moving and in, in responding to His invitation to the work of redemption and renewal of all of the created world. Why, why are you still a part of it? Why are you not a, a stat, a nun or a done? It's been a place of belonging for me. And in that process of it being a place of belonging, I've had, I've been invited to be honest and open with, all the warts and wrinkles of the church that I've seen. And I found a flexibility and a desire to grow and change in it that has given me hope and a desire to be a part of that change. So, so were there moments, were there moments where you considered leaving then, or has it pretty much always been, I'm here no matter what? No, I, I think I've always valued the gathered community and seen it as, you seen it as something that can't be compartmentalized away from the relationship that you have with Christ. Like you, you can't, you can't have Christ without the church. Um, and I, I think that's something I've always known. I like it. Um, so then our next question would then be, uh, what do you love most about church? Yeah. Um, I think, 
I love most when the church surprises people. When when people come into the church and they expect this institution that can't be human in its connection, and then they discover that the people within it are just like them and have raw stories that when when we're willing to be vulnerable with, really invite our neighbors and people who have lived much of their life outside the church to find true community. That's awesome. So then you kind of, you mentioned it to some degree, um, articulated it as the warts and wrinkles, I think you said. Uh, so what are some of those warts and wrinkles? What, what needs fixing about the church? Yeah, I mean, the Ask me on any given day, and I'm sure the answer changes, right? Um, so I guess you could say, I, I guess we could simplify it. There are things that need fixing. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I'll just say vaguely, I think that the church lives in a state of fear often and allows for for fear to be the authority that drives its decisions. And uh, the gospel texts and the epistles are really, really clear that um, the church isn't to, to live in fear, but it's to live in the, the authority and power of Christ. And I think that when we do that, um, we have to surrender a lot, but it really creates a, a culture of openness that allows for so many people to find a Christ that they didn't even know was, was a reality. So that's awesome. So in, in this whole, conversation it, it was really tempting and easy sometimes to, to just focus on that I, th- was i right you, you called them wrinkles and warts is that the term you used preston yeah that's right yeah it's really it's really easy and tempting even as a pastor uh to to get really hung up and caught up in in what's going wrong but so oftentimes i think it's beneficial i actually heard uh in my district assembly it was really inspiring there's another young pastor on the district who's doing some very imaginative and creative uh, ministries and he basically said i've never seen a generation so optimistic so passionate so willing to take on um the fix and really thinking optimistically that they could contribute to the fix so in that way you know there seems to be this this thread, this common thread with most of our guests that not because of some sort of prideful thing, but because of just optimism and hope and kind of like what you're talking about, of you know, not living into fear that there's something we, we can be hopeful for tomorrow, something we can be passionate about. So for you, Preston, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit before this actual airing and recording, and it kind of seems to fit um, your current position but you're obviously really passionate about kind of sharing a story or a message and keeping that stuff on point. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. So do you, you, you use some language and I've been in a, a large church before and I don't want to read too much between the lines, but in some way you, you kind of alluded to, to the maybe fact that a lot of times we're competing voices, even within larger congregations, we, kind of get disjointed and we don't necessarily have a very shared vision about what we are doing as a church. And sometimes we're just noise competing for, for our congregants attention. Am I right in reading kind of what you're saying? Is that kind of what you're alluding to? You know, I think that, I think that certainly happens. I don't, 
I don't think that's what I intended when I, um, when I was talking about the communications piece more, more so that was less vision oriented and more just practical engagement oriented. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. So then I guess I would just ask back aside from just the nuts and bolts of communicating a cohesive and clear, whatever, whether it's, you know, this is our sermon series or this is what we're doing. These are the ministries of our church. Um, It seems to me that you kind of have a, a grander view of what, what you think the church should be doing as far as just sharing or telling a good story um, beyond just like the nuts and bolts of a calendar, I guess, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, so, so here's the deal. I, I I think sometimes we forget that it's not even our story that we're telling. Um, I I think so often churches end up competing with each other um, within their own cities, within their own states, regions, you name it because they think that it's their story to own and they have to rewrite the narrative from the very beginning. The reality is it's God's story that we're all taking part in together. Um, And the job that I think the churches have to do, and I think um, having a storyteller on staff helps with this, but I think that every church does this in their own capacity is they have to help people to see the story that's God that God has been writing, is writing, and will be writing in the future, and the way that each individual is being invited to participate in that story. Um, I mean, that's that's honestly what it it is to to preach. It's it's to open the Word of God to reveal a truth and to inspire change, and, and that's all participating in this grand story arc that has been written long before we um, ever walked on the earth and will continue on long past um, when we're here. So, so I feel like I have to say, you know, like a preemptive disclosure because I'm so snarky about stuff. I'm not intending to be snarky at all. Um, just putting it out there. You, you say storytelling. So, I mean, I, I guess I want to make sure is there, is there like a storytelling pastor on staff at your church or is that just a term you're coining? Yeah, so um, it's a term that I'm coining, but it is me. Um, oh, I that's see. What so I, that's what I do. I was trying to determine if you were kind of alluding to storytelling pastors being the preachers, like the the ones that are getting up on Sunday mornings, because um, there's you know sometimes in a larger church there's a preaching pastor, there's an executive pastor, there's there's all these different you know the lead pastor might be the, the preaching pastor of a team of pastors preaching. So just trying to yeah. get a clear sense so, of what storytelling means in, in a yeah, church context. So storytelling, really, I'm, I'm coining that word from the marketplace. And it's more of um, a storyteller is someone who knows how to use the creative elements to bring a story to life. So often they have experience with audio interviews or video interviews and video production um, or using photojournalism. Um, so it's kind of a new term, I think, in the last like 10 years, really. Mm. Um, but churches have been adopting it. Where does that come from? Where uh, did you just I mean, I guess I Elijah wasn't called a storyteller. He was just a prophet. But it, it, would that be the same thing for you or no? Uh, that's a good question. Um, not necessarily, I think. I think I think storytellers have a unique responsibility to almost act in 
a real like historian position for the church. Like you're, you're responsible for keeping your eyes and your ears open for the constant um, narrative of that story and for the care of it. Um, if that makes sense, like. So how is that different than being prophetic? Yeah, I, it's a good question. I, I think maybe if I understand where you're going, I think to be prophetic is more about speaking into the future of what is taking place. It, and the, I mean, it, it's <coughs> definitely, it's definitely a, it's often a critique of that which is happening now and the way that the way that that will impact the future and storytelling is so much about like documenting that which has happened and is happening so i guess for me you know elijah or nathan or any of these you know big deal guys from the old testament it wasn't just about you know i guess what what pop culture would think prophecy was like fortune telling or whatever but kind of was rooted in understanding the context, understanding what the people were doing, understanding um, what their hangups were and what God was really trying to impress upon their hearts and minds and to, to hopefully help them be drawn back to him as a result. So, but it's just interesting. I've never really thought about this. I mean, I, I've never heard of this term uh, storytelling before, but I guess it's because I'm, I don't know, way out in in the woods. Have you heard of it, Byron? Have you heard this term storytelling before? I mean, the only thing I could think of is more like talking about being a narrative type preacher, but like understanding that we have, like if if you are speaking to a, a congregation or a part of a congregation, I think we have the opportunity to inspire, which if you look at older cultures, a lot of what they did was storytellers were there to, they were... They were they kept the history essentially, and they would repeat these histories to people so they would know their history. But it also, maybe this isn't true in real life, but at least in fantasy and like science fiction, they usually are the one that like tip off like someone to doing something crazy. So like Yoda, like it kind of. I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> like you talk like, but I mean, a lot of it's used as narrative advice a lot. Like there's a a kid who's an unlikely hero or whatever, right? And they go into the marketplace and they meet this crazy old storyteller who talks about this story. Like, Oh, this is how it used to be back in the day. And they don't tell you this. Now the government's against us and blah, 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 whatever it might be. And they, but they inspire the hero to go do something crazy. And like, without them, there's no first step. Hmm. So I think they're like the catalyst. As, yeah. Like, but we can be that as, as the, the person who's, you know, speaking all the time, that it's a voice that's regularly heard. I think pastors um, and any type of pastor, not just, not just the person preaching constantly needs to find a way to inspire people. So the idea, I think, unless I'm wrong, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Press, but yeah, like, you're probably like, wrong. I, it's fine though. Yeah, it's probably, <laughs> but I mean, that's kind of how I always viewed the pastor as like, we're there to inspire. Cause we can't, pastors can't do all the ministry themselves. We've talked about this before it can't be one person doing everything. So you have to disciple and you have to help people go out on their own and figure things out and you encourage them, you support them, you do whatever you can, but they have to lead too. They have to do their own thing. Um, is that makes sense to what you were saying? Is that, you know, am I, am I completely off or? 
No, I, I think it does. I, I'm trying to think. So here's a, here's an example that will at least give some like cognitive shape to how this like takes place for me. So it's, we're recording this. It's the day after Easter in 2019. Um, So yesterday was Easter Sunday and we shared the video. uh, We shared a video in our, in our gatherings um, from a guy named Jerry. Now Jerry is a 65 year old man in our congregation who has suffered from depression and had a history with um, a suicidal past. And he came to me almost a year ago saying, Hey, I believe that I've had enough distance from this that I feel that God is speaking into me that you need to share this with others so that you can help normalize this struggle with depression for people who are sitting in this place who are struggling with it, but don't feel that it's a safe enough space for them to be able to vocalize it. So here's Jerry who has his story begin to align with the character of who God is and the story Mm. of who God has been and continues to be. So we recorded it and I was able to provide it to my senior pastor as an example for how he could use a story that could be told to bring life to the values and the arc of his sermon message on an Easter Sunday, on a resurrection Sunday for Mm. him to be able to look at people and say, Hey, listen, like, here is a story of how God has been faithful and you, you can listen to this and you can find something for yourself in this, in this story that will give you hope for whatever it is that you may be struggling with, whether that's depression itself, um, whatever's, whatever's bringing you hopelessness, um, let that, let that be transformed in, in the power of the resurrection. Okay. I think I'm getting it now, maybe, but so it, I have a question, though, to articulate for myself, if that's okay. Yep. So do you think there's a way to see if a church doesn't have good storytelling versus one that is really on point as far as celebrating and telling good stories? Do you think you can just tell, like, if you walk in on a Sunday or if you spend any amount of time with church? Yeah, I think so. Um, So I think there's a couple telltale things. And none of them have to do with the quality of the footage or the quality of the production. Okay. It doesn't have to be um, like 4K cameras and all that jazz to make it happen. No, no, no. I, I ascribe to the Casey Neistat mentality, which is that the story beats the footage or the quality every single time. Okay, the but story wins. you got to explain who that guy is because I don't know if everyone knows who he is. Yeah, so Casey Neistat is um, probably he's, – he's definitely – in the top 10 YouTube personalities. Um, he's a huge YouTube vlogger and has built, built his name in that space. But he, it, he, yeah, he um, is a big believer that um, a good story trumps a good production every time. And mm-hmm. I, I tell that to a lot of like small, smaller churches that are really wanting to get into some sort of method of producing stories but don't they're intimidated by the technology or by the amount of time that can go into them um you know the 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 truth is we we as millennials act like we've been like revolutionizing the world (laughs) um no these things are do that (laughs) we call it stories but the older people in our congregation will look at me and say 
you know you're just sharing a testimony, right? Yeah, exactly. That's um, what I was gonna say, dude. It's like and, testimony Sunday night, right? And that's true. Um, it it is true. I I think there are some differences. Um, you can you can usually get a longer runway of the story. You can get more details of the story in video um, because of the edit process. Yeah. And so I think it can give you a better portrait into the to the way that God has moved in someone's life. But it's still just a testimony. I think that so, I think that the language of story is friendlier and softer um, for our generation, and it might open them up to the ability to see God in the midst of it. Whereas, mm. for some reason, the word testimony is just one of those trigger words that have turned off enough people that yeah, it's Christianese. It's a, it's yeah, it's a deal breaker. So, so then you you think you're speculating that in some sort of way, not that this is like specifically how you labeled it, but this is how I'm going to process it. It's almost like that fix to a thing. That's probably the disconnect for some of the nuns and duns is to just tell a good story. Yeah, I think so. But you know, I mean, and like I just said, the, the irony is some of the best stories that I've ever shot come from the hearts and off of the lips of people who call it a testimony. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think that our generation has suffered from a lack of seeing testimonies um, in the gathered community. So they don't even know how to begin to share it. So I think so much of what I do is, is help people to realize, you, you know, that evangelism is really just inviting people to see into your story and the way that God has transformed your life. Like it's that simple. Um, so anyways, I don't know if this is your experience. Um, me and Byron have talked at length about some of this stuff, but so much of what I hear is it goes beyond just the hypocrisy and judgmentalness um, as, as to why nuns and duns are a thing. And for the record, um, nuns would technically be people our age who don't have a faith-based affiliation. Um, correct. I mean, well, would you, or is it's, there, it's, is, a, it's any age. Um, yeah, but that's not just our age. The designation of not having so, like, if you're filling out a census thing or whatever, you're gonna just put none instead of Christian or Jewish or Muslim or you know whatever. You're gonna put no religious affiliation or no faith based, and then duns. Um, that are you referring to those that have once upon a time been a part of a faith community and have pieced out? Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, basically anybody who has distanced himself. And, and I should say it just like the nuns question that transcends religions. So, so that's just not groups. just Christian. That's but. just groups. They're done with different groups and communities. Right. So, so then I guess what I've experienced in so many of my conversations with what I would, I guess, assume to be nuns and duns is, uh, it's not just the hypocrisy judgmentalness that, you know, you can hurl at the church and the church rightfully deserves a lot of that. Um, but there's this lack of just relationship and connection and kind of like what you're talking about. Human story just doesn't seem like that's something people would be opposed to having, but it just seems like maybe there's been a loss of that as of late. There's been so much more institutionalizing or, just making it very religious to, to be a part of the church. So, so in some way it seems that what you're doing could be very appealing to somebody who has a very 
not even very slightly outdated perspective of what the church does. Like what have you had experiences where someone comes and sees a story that you're sharing and that just kind of a light bulb goes off and like, Oh wow, I actually could be a part of this place. That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the hope and the dream is always that someone will interact with a story and they will be able to imagine that that work of transformation taking place in the brokenness that they experience. So the old model might have been, you need to come here and get right. And you need to act a certain way and you need to behave a certain way. And you need to already have had your stuff together, which is kind of this impersonal thing. But what you're doing is you're kind of inviting people to, I, I suppose the, the very cliche term is come as they are and share life together to see how God is working through uh, as the common thread in people's lives. And, and what you're doing, again, I'm still trying to figure it out, dude. You have a really fancy title and I just call myself a lead pastor. What you're doing is trying to, to point out that thread, that common thread in everybody's lives and share it with the rest of the congregation for the benefit of saying, hey, this is how God is at work. Yeah, yeah. For the benefit of the congregation, but also for the benefit of the people who will never be able to sit in. If I'm honest, there, there's a whole group of people that I'm trying to minister to in my community that will never find this, this sanctuary space to be safe enough for, mm. for them to, for them. And I think that's okay. So I, I think so much of what we have to do is, yes, re-illustrate what the church is to a people who are done with churches they've known it, but also invite the church to a whole new expression that says that you've only caught the tip of the iceberg if your investment is the 45 minutes to an hour 15, 1.8 times a month. Like, there's so much, there's so much to be lived and, and experienced for people who are willing to say, listen, I've got all these hobbies and interests and things going on outside of this building. And believe it or not, Christ is interested in redeeming those things too. And for using them as launch pads for connection with people that are hurting and broken. And I think that when we become awakened to that, that possibility, we become so much more aware of, the ways that God is literally calling us to respond with compassion to people around us in every moment. So it, so much of it is teaching a whole new awareness for people. So even as they interact with someone's story on a Sunday and they realize that the person who is sitting three rows down from them has just shared this like beautiful opening up and brokenness and vulnerability and transformation through a, a video story. They realize if someone three rows down from them can have that much going on in their life and it resonates with what they're experiencing personally, then the same thing must be true about the coworker that they run into every morning or the person that serves them their coffee. And it invites them to imagine what it would be like to linger in those moments and to say, God, like, I don't know what you're trying to do here, but I'm open to the possibilities. So going beyond the Sunday morning, 
corporate worship gathering permeating every aspect of of the the being just in the day in day out monday through saturday on top of sunday sort of a uh sharing story in life together um but then also it sounds like you're saying the three rows up that that will then potentially reach the pinnacle of the of the shared story experience i guess i can call it it's your phrase i'm gonna keep trying to use it i'm probably gonna use it wrong but uh it, it then just opens up the 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 possibilities of relationships and people being able to be real with each other and and instead of what i feel like has been the leftover of the modernity period in the church of this wear your best suit and tie look the best part when someone asks you how you're doing tell them i'm so good and even if that's a lie, never once acknowledge that anything's wrong. This is a this is basically almost like a 180 from that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yes. I I think it's it's an invitation to recognize that as as nuanced as our experiences and emotions are, so too are everyone else's around us. Um, and when we're cognizant of that, it opens us up to an ability to be incarnationally ministering um, with, the, with the ministry of presence and all the spaces that were already involved. So for a generation who grew up perhaps believing that evangelism was all about the amount of time spent cold calling or the amount of time spent <laughs> walking in neighborhood, which in and of itself, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to demonize that. I mean, it, it was there. It was the reality then. But the reality is now you you will not engage people authentically in that format. And, you know, frankly, you, you just don't have to. Like, take where you're already involved and having influence and set it apart for the, for the sake of being more aware of how God wants to use you in that space. Um, and then fixate on it. Pray on it. Ask God to show you how to be discerning his will in the lives of the people around you. Um, and I think if you, if you're really fervent about that, I really think that God's going to open up the door. You know, the other thing is that, I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is I tell everybody that I'm pastor that they are a storyteller and, and they often look at me like, I don't know how to use a camera. And I'm like, yeah, that's great, but you still have a story to tell. And the fact of the matter is um, you have a responsibility to tell that story to the people around you. Um, now we live in a generation and in a, in a time when it is easier than ever to connect with people authentically in story. And yet what we give them are two second micro glimpses into the best part of our lives. Um, <laughs> You're so, talking of course of social media, right? Yeah. I mean, it, yes, but also like that, the social media mentality is what permeates all the way into the I'm good mentality. When you, when you Absolutely. meet someone face to face. Um, so inviting them to inviting people to, to linger um, in those moments to say, um, I'm good as a good starting place, but it can't be the fullness of a conversation. Hmm. It's really interesting. Well, I, I would also say that like what you're doing is also opening the door to real discipleship. I think our culture has lost the idea of, being genuine with people and spending time with them. And then even mentorship, but I mean like people in the church, like evangelism doesn't just end with, Oh, I got them to come to my church one time. I got a button, a seat. 
So therefore, they're good. It's being genuine with people, actually doing like being in, like you said, incarnational, living actual genuine lives with people. And we as Christians are called to do that in our workplaces, in you know, if we're in school, whatever we do, we should be finding a way to live like Christ. But I feel like what you're talking about is seeing people for what they really are as people um, and knowing that there's a story there. And if you have shared experiences, then you can truly find ways to be a part of people's lives, which can lead to genuine discipleship. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I do, I want to be so clear to whoever's listening because I I've lived in the reality of a congregation that has is and continues to try so hard to carry the tension between um, it, two generations, three, four, five generations of trying to walk faithfully in, in the Christian faith. And the reality is we all need each other. I mean, I'm not here to say the millennial way is the only way. Um, I think it's, it's been the, the most fruitful moments of my ministry have been in partnership with people who, have the strength of discipleship and who've been teaching Sunday school for 40 years. Yeah. Um, they have awesome and coming stories. Alongside them, yeah. And coming alongside them and saying, Hey, I, let me help introduce you to this person. Um, and so using what I know and, and my strengths and partnering it with their strengths and their giftings. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I've had some of the most surprising, uh, wonderful and amazing engagements with people that, if I would have written them off from the beginning for, for the stereotypical, Oh, that person's this age. So they're obviously, you know, this, that, the other, and I'm young and relevant. I never would have had the opportunity to have the meaningful conversations and to have these amazing lives, uh, these stories shared with me that have then been so helpful in shaping uh, just who I am in my ministry and giving me wisdom. I never could have hoped to have gained on my own without having this person who's been on the planet, you know, twice or three times as long as me just speaking to me <laughs> and sharing a little bit of what, what they have experienced. I think, uh, I think you hit it on the, the head, man. We're better when we're together. This podcast isn't some sort of attempt to, to vilify um, anyone older than 40. That's not the point. The point is that there's just not a lot of us still in ministry that's something that really concerns me. So I think these are just super valid, valuable conversations to be having. Uh, what are some new fresh ideas and takes that, that young people are doing to try to kind of capture some of the richness that is the faith communities that we are a part of? So what we do um, with every episode, Preston, we, we like to kind of end it with, with a final thought. <clears throat> so, so perhaps I could ask you, just a simple question Um, because I think most churches out there desperately care about things uh, like reaching nuns and duns or just having better relationships or being really, really thoughtful in their approaches to evangelism and discipleship. But I'm going to ask it with, with Preston ease. Uh, That's probably not, I'm going to say it the way you said it Um, and ask you to think about it while we do our share the love sponsor. But basically, how would I or how would a listener, whether they're a pastor, layperson, whatever, how do we start telling good stories? I know it's really broad. I know it's a big deal. 
it's probably incredibly involved. But if there's just a shift in perspective, if there's just something we could start practicing every day or something that's just a, a, a thought tweak or whatever, what would your suggestion be uh, for, for just the, the everyday person or even for the pastor of the church that, that wants to tell good stories? So think about that. And we're going to do a share the love sponsor while you're thinking about that. Is that fair? Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So our share the love sponsor. And again, Byron, I don't think I have ever asked permission to do some of these. So we're just going to do it and, and apologize later. So, uh, but our share the love sponsor is young clergy con. There is a young clergy conference that's going to be in October, I believe. And it's going to be in Northern California. And it's just this really cool opportunity for us youngins to hang out together and get loved on by some of the uh, the experienced and more learned clergy in our denomination. It's something that's uh, really creatively done. You basically, I'm not going to tell you everything about it. You should just go to youngclergycon.com. We'll put the link in the description. But it's kind of, it kind of touches on some of these things that the the variety of our guests have touched on, just sharing life together, sharing ideas, trying to help um, remind us that we're not alone in our endeavors, but that we're better when we do this stuff together. So check it out. All right, and plus- I mean, maybe too, if you aren't clergy, but you do have a younger clergy member, maybe approach them, see if you could help provide, you know, help get them there or something like that too. You it know, can, it can be very isolating to be the only person under 40 on staff sometimes. Let me tell you. Yeah. So like you can really help out and, you know, you maybe, maybe do a scholarship or whatever, but like that it was one of the conferences are one of those things as a pastor that like, you can go to and they're very refreshing because you realize I'm not alone. There's a lot of people out there dealing with the same stuff. I am They're as frustrated as I am. And that can really help with burnout, honestly, just absolutely. And hearing stories like, like, you know, hearing other people's t- situations and going, okay, what can we do to try to combat this situation? That kind of stuff. So, Absolutely. If you have the means, maybe you can help someone else get there or be reju- rejuvenated, you know. So try to be creative in how we we love each other. So Help each other out. So, so Preston, help a brother out. Tell me how to be a good storyteller. Yeah. Um, so I would say the first thing is just ask. <laughs> ask. Ask your congregation to, like, frequently. How is God moving in in ways in your life um, and get them thinking about that um, because so many people don't even think about it. So teach them to think about it first um, so that they can begin to store those, those moments so that when something happens, they think, Oh, I wonder maybe this is like what pastor was talking about. Like this is a moment that I can share it with someone else. Um, so I would say first you gotta, you have to create the culture for it um, in, in your congregation. And then second um, either you as a pastor or even better find a lay person who is passionate about this as well and commit to learning how to talk to people. You know, I think the biggest thing for a good story, for telling a good story is knowing how to let someone fully share all the details around it. And so often we don't know how to sit with people in the, in the moments of grief, in the moments of joy, and, and help them to process through it well, um, and help them to create um, real firm, concrete 
pieces that can be shared to help another person step into that experience. And I'm, I'm going to name drop a book by <laughs> Dean Nelson, who is a, a uh, yeah, professor. I knew it was coming. You recommended yeah, this to me personally. <laughs> man, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I'm recommending it to every pastor and it's not written for pastors, but Dean is a professor of journalism at um, San Diego or at Point Loma in San Diego. And, you know, the fact of the matter is I, I've read through the book and I think it has so much to do with just how to see and understand humans um, that I think it's just an invaluable resource for pastors, especially if you're trying to, to help um, share a story. So it's called Talk to Me by Dean Nelson. It just came out in 2019. Just short read. And Dean is a great storyteller. So it's really, it'll capture you. Um, but yeah. And then I can't just, I can't say it enough. Like, empower the people around you and don't do it for them. Like if you have someone who is passionate about this, let them wrestle with it and let them, let them run with this. Like it's your, if you're a pastor, especially it is your responsibility to be equipping the people around you to be able to carry the weight of the church and, and, and to be involved in ministry for them to see themselves even as ministers um, in a different capacity. But I just think, um, especially in our generation, you have so many people who are probably sitting in your congregation who are imagining like what it would be like to be able to do things like tell stories and they're just waiting to be asked. Um, so find those people, ask them, empower them and let them run with it. It might mean we don't preach as long on Sunday sometimes, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole just, other podcast, man. I was gonna. I honestly, we're running, we're out of time. But I was gonna ask, what does this mean for preachers? But we'll have to have you back, I guess, Preston. So, hey, man, thanks a bunch for for sharing these really awesome ideas and passions that that you obviously care deeply about. And thanks for being on the show and also just a part of the church, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. We really, it was really good. We get to see each other uh what in october or i can't remember when our next cohort is yeah i think i think october is it lots of stuff happening in october but hey man thanks for being on the show we appreciate it and uh to the rest of you out there listening thanks for listening if you if you want to know more about what we're doing if you want to hear more of these conversations if you want to get ideas if you want to just talk shop and talk about faith and culture mess with the millennial stereotype then then check us out we have a website themillennialpastor.com where we share some of these stories like like preston's sometimes we get our our guests to blog uh you can subscribe to this podcast i think this is episode 19 now byron that's a trip uh 19 episodes you can rate and review it and byron would like you to give us a good review but you know again at least constructive (laughs) like we're not perfect we don't know what we're doing we're not professionals so We've get some people have given us constructive feedback and we've used it. Yeah. So like, so thanks. If you have a good idea or like, hey, this could be better if you do it this way, you know, we'll we'll read that stuff and we'll look at it. So and, and if you review it and say Byron's just a big jerk, I'm gonna laugh so much. But so I mean, will I. But that's also not constructive. <laughs> Why right. am I a big jerk? Tell me, and I'll maybe try to fix it. You know. Oh. Uh, so we'll we'll apologize <laughs> for that stuff on the next episode. Uh, but but anyways, follow us on on Twitter on Facebook, on Instagram, but just generally speaking, if you want to hear more about what us millennials think, or you like hearing about the faith-based work 
they're doing in culture like like my man Preston, then please join us next time on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. We'll see you next time.